Good morning. Greetings in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. The great honor and the privilege to open up the Word of God. May you, may you alone have all the glory. Let's pray. Loving Father, open up our hearts and minds to thy holy word. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God work in us. Show us what thou hast for us this morning. Point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless our time together. We remember those many who are not able to come. This morning, as they are not feeling well, Lord, touch and heal them. Grant them good recovery. Thank for thy mercies. Bless thy servant. Give utterance from above. Bless our time together. Help us to learn something new this morning. Work in us, Lord. Help us be obedient to thy word. Help us to be doers of thy word. Bless our time together. Lead us, guide us, strengthen us. In the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, we humbly pray. Amen. Thank you all for your prayers during my recent two trips to India. The Lord has been so kind and gracious to me in my recent travels to the east. That is from west to east and from east to west. This question came to my mind. How am I traveling today? How am I traveling today? And I asked the same question. How are you traveling today? The question is, are we traveling towards God or are we traveling away from God? God willing, you'll see shortly what I mean. We are all strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are all traveling in this world. In our travels in life, we all pass through struggles and difficulties and problems. And sometimes we go in the wrong direction. I often do. It all happens to all of us in some point in our life. Whether we know Christ or not, we sometimes struggle and get off the path that we should be on. The question this morning is, which direction are we traveling? Are we traveling towards God or are we moving away from God? God willing, we're going to look at the subject of biblical compass very briefly. We'll take a look at the issue of east, west, north, and south in the scripture. It gives us an idea how God beautifully interwoven in his, in his word, a perspective how we travel. Perhaps you have never looked at it before and hope this will be an exciting time to get into these aspects of symbols and types and pictures in the scripture. Before we start, I have to read the fine print. I'm not trying to introduce a new doctrine or something like that. So keep in mind, we are talking spiritually and not physically. With that said, let's go to Genesis. The first mention of direction in the scripture. The first mention is very important. The first occurrence of a word in the Bible is very important. It teaches us something. So let's go there. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. I'll be going really fast. I might take a little bit extra time, so pardon me. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward. In Eden, And there he put the man whom he had formed. God putting the garden east. Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. So he drew out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden. Cherubims and flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. When we read verses like this, you might think, what does it mean to us? You normally just pass by. But you can learn off a lot from them. You might have noticed East mentioned in both these verses that we read. In our study this morning, we want to look at four things from this compass. North, South, West, East as application. Hopefully we get a little bit idea from these four things. First, travels. Our travels. Testing. Our testing. What happens when testing comes? Thirdly, our approach to God. How we approach God. And then we look at our boundary. The issue of boundaries. The boundaries that God has set for us. Again, we'll take a look at the issue of east, west, north, and south. Now, before we get into the subject, 
let's look from the Hebrew perspective. If you take a map, what direction do we have pointing up? You see the end? You see north pointing straight up. We have this perspective, at least in America and many other countries as well, that north is the key. We use north as our major direction, but not for a Hebrew. For a Hebrew, the west was the key. Everything was in relation to the west. So the key was the west. The key was the west for a Hebrew. You will get a picture of it as we move forward. Now, where was God always placed? God was always in the west. So we see west becomes very important. So what is in the west? Now, if you look at a map of Israel, unfortunately, I don't have one. What is in the west? The Great Sea. The Mediterranean Sea is on the west. In the Hebrew, west is called Yam, meaning sea. As you, as as mentioned, Numbers chapter 3, verse 6, the great sea is on the west. We see east. Where does it point to? East points towards Jordan. Eastern Hebrew means Kedam. Exodus chapter 27, verse 13, we see that, which means friend, F-R-O-N-T. Sometimes you see translation like friend or friend of in the scripture. Sometimes you don't know if it says east or not because Sometimes it's called in front of. Whenever the Hebrews are reading about the east, they're saying in front of. In front of what? Well, the great sea. That is in relation to the great sea. If you had to look at the west word, west means yam, which means behind or sea, sea word, which is, so what is behind? The sea is behind. So whenever someone says to me going west, that means going to the sea. The sea is a picture of where God is. In Revelation, we see the throne room of God is what? A crystal sea. The heavenly Jerusalem is what? A crystal sea. So we see the importance of sea. Now there's a difference here, of course. Sea is a body of water. There it is solid. So we have behind or seaward. That's what west means. So what do we have in the north? North points towards Lebanon. Down south we have the wilderness. We have Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and so on. So the whole issue of sea is very important. Now, of course, north and south, which are not used much in the scripture, but east and west are used extensively in the scripture. Now we have south, which is Negev, means south, Genesis chapter 24, verse 62. That would be to the right. There are other meanings. But again, right from the westward view. That is south. Then, of course, north, Safon, is to the left. So basically, north and south, we have left and right. So when we think of God in the sea, when we think about his right hand, what do we think about? The right in the scripture speaks of power, but the left is the opposite sign of weakness. So we have right hand, a place of strength, an issue of faith in God and so on. South, that is south. And then north, we see the side of weakness, man's intelligence, man's way of doing things. By the way, the Assyrians came from the north. Israel enemies often came from the north or northeast. Disaster often came from the north. So man in his power, he, he thinks he can subdue God and take over his people and so on. By the way, it was on the north side of the altar that the sacrifice was offered. You know, Christ was crucified on the north side of the city of Jerusalem. Side of weakness, but we know that God wins eventually the victories he won on the cross that we know of. And of course, someday... We know that he will establish his kingdom in the future and will show that he is in power. So the whole issue of map becomes very important. Hopefully you got a little bit of idea. I know I'm going a little bit fast. The important thing is sea, where we suggest that God sits on the sea in heaven. He sits on the sea, doesn't, uh, doesn't he? 
His throne is there and everything goes forth from him. And anything that is not in the throne is really away from him, is out from him. It doesn't mean that it's not close to him, but it is out from him. All right, then we'll come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. God created the Garden of Eden and you see he puts it out. Eastward, it doesn't mean bad or no good. He puts it out from himself. He decided to make a place. By the way, Eden means delight, pleasure. It was a place of delight. So when we talk about garden, we often think about a place of delight. Most of us love garden, those beautiful flowers and vegetables and so on. It's a place of delight. In the scripture, we can do a great study on gardens. We know at least four important gardens mentioned in the Bible. And they are Garden of Eden, Gethsemane, Garden in the Song of Solomon, which we have learned a long time back, Garden in Revelation, that is in the kingdom, the New Jerusalem, and so on. And this morning we saw in John chapter 19, where our Lord was crucified, there was a garden. We often miss that. You see, when we look at the issue of how they were put out eastward, we see a lesson there. You see, Christ had to come into the garden and die in order to give us life. We'll take a look at it if we have time. We see east-west direction there. Genesis 2.8, he planted eastward, away from himself. As we begin to look at this eastward approach, we will see what it means to us. The question is, how are we traveling in this world today? Are we getting further away from God? We travel as if we are further east. What is making us go further away from him? You see that it is sin. We'll take a look at this. Well, let's get back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. So he drew out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Here in the garden, man was driven out and a flashing sword was placed toward the east of the garden of Eden to guard the tree of life. What happened? Well, which way was man removed from the garden? Notice east. You see, sin came in by the fall and Eve took off the, took off the fruit and she took a bite out of it. We know what happened and so man was driven out. Which direction? East. A little further away from God. A little departure from God. We call it east. A picture of departure from God. As we move far to east, we depart from God. The question is, why doesn't God want us to go east? What does it mean? Well, we'll find out soon, so let's move. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, you know the story. Adam and Eve had two children, Abel and Cain. They bring their offering to God. God is pleased with Abel, but not so pleased with Cain. And eventually, Cain slays Abel. So let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Notice, toward the east. Again, we see that eastward aspect. By the way, Nod means wandering. So those who continue to travel east, travel away from God and end up doing what? Wandering. How about us today? Are we those just wandering all? We all may be believers. We all know Christ. But are we wandering? We don't really, but we are not close to God. We are not making that westward trip, right? 
We try making that eastward trip into the world. What it has, and we're going to see some other people who have done this. When we come to Abraham, Lord, and so on, we'll see some issues there. Now let's move on to Genesis chapter 10. You will see another portion about east. We won't go into the details. This is where the sons of Noah and their genealogy, genealogy comes in. Verse 8, Cush beget Nimrod. You know, Ham beget Cush, Cush beget Nimrod. Nimrod is an example of the flesh. He becomes a mighty hunter before, before Jehovah. I don't think it's a good statement. It's not a positive statement. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. Being a mighty hunter before Jehovah is not as important as one who comes to Jehovah with a sacrifice. But we are not going to get into that. Verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Iraq and Akkad and Carmel in the land of Shinar. Out of the land, out of that land went forth Asher and buildeth Nineveh and the city Rehoboth and Kala and Rasen between Nineveh and Kala. The same is a great city. Notice Asher, which is Syria or Assyria. The enemies of Israel, out of there came two important cities. It came from this man of the flesh, Nimrod. So what are they? Well, Nineveh, which we know about, we read in the book of Jonah, where they repent, and of course in the book of Nahum, where they were eventually destroyed. We also have a city called Babel, which is out in the east. Now if you look at a map, Babel, Shinar, Nineveh, all these great cities made by men were in the east. You know what happened? If you go back in history, you will see what happened. Now, in chapter 11 of Genesis, there we see what happened. A statement is made. Genesis chapter 11, let us make a place for ourselves. Let us build a city for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us reach into the heavens. The idea is they wanted to be like God. We don't see, uh, we don't need God. Let us build our own place. We can build our own large city. And that was what they did. So what does God do? This is where confusion comes in. The tongues. Babel becomes the key to understand the east. Whenever we see east in the scripture, I can assure you something related to false religion. Something like Babel, Babylon. By the way, Babel means what? You know, when a child babble, what do you say? Confusion. You cannot understand what the child is saying. Confusion. And Babylon, which is a word that, that, uh, that we use today, means confusion by mixing. And that's what Satan does. Today, what does Babylon look like? You look at Christendom today, do you see Satan pulling saints in America? What does he do? Mixing a little bit of truth and the false. They won't know the difference, right? If you are not in the scripture and does not know what the Bible says, mixing a little bit of that and a little bit of this, you know, Hey, this sounds okay. Let's mix it in. We confuse people because they don't know the scripture. They have not been in the Bible. They have not been in the word of God. So that is what's happening in many churches today. So the thing that sounds plausible in reality are false, but don't realize it. And so this is where Babel, Babylon comes from right from the start. Nimrod is a very sad thing, but it's all in the east. It's a, it's a reminder not to go east, the dwelling place of sinners. Now someone might ask, brother, when you go home, you'll be traveling east. You're going backward or wrong way. Well, we're talking about spiritual matters here, spiritual lessons. 
So think spiritually. As we move forward, it becomes more and more clear. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 12. God had appeared to Abraham. We start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, the last verse. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lord the son of Haran, his son's son. And Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from the air of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 five years, and Terah died in Haran. God had called Abram, you know, Ur of the Chaldees is in the east. And God says, I want you to get out of the east, right? I want to get out of all that is in the east. All by yourself, Abram. Come west. Come to me. Come to the place where I will give you a land where your seed can have it forever. Today, God is calling you and me. Come, come to me. Come west. The Lord is calling the people of the world, come unto me, all he that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me. You see, Abram begins the journey, but then he gets stuck. Do you ever have that happen? You start somewhere, you get halfway. Hey, this is a pretty nice place. I will stop right here. He stops in Haran. And the sad thing is, he has to get away from his father's house, his brethren, away from the land, right? He parted away from the land. But he still had his father's household with him. Lot and others with him. He didn't quite fully obey. So he comes partway. He comes halfway. He comes to this place which means they are burning. That is where Terah dies. And Terah never gets to the promised land. And he dies in this place. And evidently they have been here quite a while. And they got settled there. And God evidently has to, had to call him again. We see in chapter 12 what happened. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Uh, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. He's saying three things. To be separate from these things, that you may associate with me, and I will show you this land, and make them a great nation, and so on. He goes on, and he does this in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lord went with him. Notice, and Lord went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. You see, there's a little extra thing there. A little extra step. He goes, but one thing. Lord's with him. You know, Lord shouldn't be with him, right? Now, Lord knew God too. Peter says, righteous Lord. We never hear anything positive about Lot in the Old Testament. And yet he was a righteous man. He knew God because of Abraham. We understand that he believed in God. He knew God. But you wouldn't know anything about Lot, would you? What are our lives like? Is it like Lot or is it like Abraham? Well, let's look how we travel because the compass is very important here. So they are traveling again westward. They're going to the land of Canaan. So they are coming to the land of Canaan. Verse 5 of chapter 12. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son. And all their substance that they had gathered. And the souls that, that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. Into the land of Canaan they came. And Canaan they came. And then Abram 
passed through the land. That is the place of Shechem. This is in verse 6. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Shechem, under the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. The Canaanite was in the land. That is traffickers. Canaanite means traffickers. They are trafficking there are traffickers in the land. They are trafficking things that are not good for us. But God eventually going to get rid of them through the Israelite as they are supposed to do. Verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Verse 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And pitched his Ten, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Bethel to where? West. The first mention of west in the Bible is in connection with the house of God. What a lesson for us. Notice, pitch his tent. Where are we pitching our tent? Notice a tent. So you see, what are we living in today? Now you might say, I have a nice house. But tent is a very important picture in the scripture. Tent is a picture of the fact that Abram understood that life in this world is temporary. A temporary shelter. And he was eventually not to be on this earth. And he and his seed eventually received the kingdom and so on. He was going to die. And so the tent represents the temporary nature of his sojourn in the world. Do we sojourn the same way? Do we live in tent? Again, we are speaking spiritually. Speaking, of course, are we doing that today? It's really an important lesson for us because if you look at the issue of worship, it is in the wilderness, isn't it? First Peter chapter 2, Peter says, we are sojourners and pilgrims. But do we believe that today? You know, we are away from home. How many of us get bogged down in the things of the world, the pleasures of this world? We don't realize that. We get too bogged down. We are getting to the place that we don't have to be, we get established. Remember in Revelation, mentioned several times, talks about earth dwellers. The Greek word means they love the earth. That, that was where they wanted to be. And even though the earth is going to be destroyed someday, that is where they wanted to be. Are we earth dwellers today or heavenly dwellers? Remember, we are actually seated in the heavenlies. That is where our citizenship is. Those that are in Christ, that's where we are seated in Ephesians and Galatians and so about. Talk about it, heavenlies and so on. Now, what happens if we follow Abraham? He comes to this place and build an altar to Jehovah. He has Ai to the east and Bethel to the west. Bethel means house of God. Ai means rubbish or heap of ruins. So we have heap of ruins. Which direction? East. House of God, west. His tent is pointing which way? West. Where are our tents today? Where are we looking today? What is our focus on? In Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, For our conversation or citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look. We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where we are looking today? That is where he is going to come from. That is where we are looking to. Looking for him to come. And Abraham realizing that he is in a beautiful place right now. The place of the house of God. His tent is pointing there. The world to the east. Have you noticed this in the scripture? Seven holy places all in the same direction. I don't have time to get into that. Garden of Eden. 
Bethel, the house of God, the tabernacle, the holy land, the temple, the holy city, and the new Jerusalem. What is the lesson? All in the same direction. Those who departed from them, when they went with their faces to the east, those who entered them, entered with their faces to the west. Now God got Abraham, Abram in the land, but there's a little problem. You know, Lot is with him. We will deal with that in a minute. Now what happens when struggles come? Now what happens when testing come? He has been traveling. We see great progress in his travel. We see some great lessons there, how he traveled in the world. Now testing comes. What happens? Testing. That's our second point. You ever have famine in life? If you ever have if you ever have testing in life, a struggle comes up, what happens? A famine comes up, right? What does Abram do? Well, if you look at a map, you'll see that he starts going south. That's not a bad because south represents the power of God, the faith in God, etc. That's okay, nothing wrong. By the way, notice he never prays, does he? When famine comes, you don't hear that the fact that he ever prayed. He got the altar right there, but doesn't pray. Never prays. At least it's not recorded that he prayed. And then he goes south. The problem is, where does he go to? Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world and is riches. What happens? He goes to Egypt for help. So how many of us go to the world for our help? You see the lesson there? We often do that. Why do it sound so bad for him there? It's a place of power in God. Yeah. The problem is that he went beyond the boundary. He went too far. See, sometimes we are doing the right thing. We start in faith and then we begin to go in the flesh, right? We go far beyond what God wants us to go. He went too far. Going to God's right hand is a marvelous thing, but to go beyond it, right? Look to the south. He went all the way down to Egypt. In fact, he went south and further west. He goes down to Egypt and he gets his help from the world. And as a result of going to the world, of course, he lies. You know, all the things that happened there, we don't have time to get into that. What does God have to do to deal with him? Bring all the way back out of Egypt, where he was before, back to the altar. Then he started to pray. He would have avoided all that, that little side trip to the world. Did that have profound consequences? He got it rectified, right? By the way, two key things happened as a result of being in Egypt. The consequence of going to the world. Well, one of them is Hagar. Hagar is the Egyptian born maid. Perhaps she was picked up in Egypt. What did she become? Well, a picture of law, of course, but she ended up having Ishmael. Today, if you look at what's happening in the Middle East, the heartaches and the troubles and the problems that comes in the news often, someone has said like this, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. Thousands of years later, still problem in the home. A little human flesh in doing man's way rather than God's way. The other lesson, the other problem is in chapter 13 of Genesis. There's a little problem between Abraham and Lot's herdsmen, a little disagreement. And it's God's way of saying, I still want you, Abraham, to separate. Separate, Abraham. You are not quite separate just under me. I want you to be separate. I want you, I want to show people a picture of what separation means. You know, you know what? I am preeminent. Colossians chapter 1, 18. We see that God has to have the preeminence. You see what happened here in Genesis chapter 13, verse 9. Genesis chapter 13, verse 9. 
Genesis chapter 13 verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And notice, And Lord lifted up his eyes. Lord lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan that was well watered. Well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. What is that word? Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Land of Egypt. Have you, have you ever noticed that before? The land of Egypt. How did he know how Egypt looked like? It was because of Abraham. Remember that little side trip to the world. He had taken them there, the man of faith. So Lot was also a man of faith, as it were, but a little bit astray. But as we will see through his life, he looks at this place and evidently knew how this place looked like, a place of delight. Egypt looks like a garden of Eden, isn't it? He sees this place, Jordan Valley, as it reminds him of Egypt, because that is where he had been. You see, that has profound consequences, didn't it? That his little side trip to Egypt got him thinking, oh, this is a great place. Again, without first asking God, he followed Abraham. Abraham didn't ask God where to go. Lord didn't ask God where to go. And by the way, what direction does he travel? East. Interesting, isn't it? He travels east. Look at verse 11. Then Lord chose him all the plains of Jordan. And Lord journeyed east and they separated themselves one from the other he went forward lord he went eastward ended up in sodom and gomorrah by the way jordan represents the picture of death as we know from the scripture it looks awfully green doesn't it it looks beautiful and he chooses for himself that which comes into the eyes and he goes east again we know already east means departure. Abraham goes westward toward God and now he decides to go further east. He's still in the land of course. Now he's near the place of death, near the Jordan River. Well, we have to move on. We have seen some great lessons about their travels. But the great lesson for us is that how do we travel? And when we are tested, what do we do? Do we go to the world for our help? Are we really seeking what God's will have, have us to do? Are we seeking his will? You know, there are three ways of really gaining understanding what God has for us. One is through his word. Second, through prayer. And thirdly, godly counsel from others. You know, God's word is a compass that keeps us on course. Men who are knowledgeable in the word of God, who have been around for many years, who have been, who have been through it all, all kind of difficulties and so on. They have made mistakes already. And why do it all again? They have made through it so you can learn from them. So let us seek godly, good, godly counsel for men who have been through it all. Women, older women as well, right? The Bible tells us younger women seeking out help and the older women helping out the younger women. There are, these are important lessons for us. We see that happen very little among men and women, especially among God's people. We are so busy in the world. We don't have time to... Help one another, encourage one another to teach how to do things. And so helping young women how to do things and so on. This is something that is missing today. Well, we saw the issue of East travel. We saw the issue of testing. We saw how Abraham traveled from the earth of the Chaldees way over in the east. By the way, he would have gone straight across the 
across the west from Arabian Desert right through the desert. You see that they take this route along the mountains, right? It's fertile along there in the cities. The question is, you think God would have helped them to cross the desert? If they went, probably so. God would do it, all right? Uh, not a problem. But, but that's fine. Again, anyway, he goes along a little bit north and then comes back and goes westward. Abraham representing the man of faith who comes to the promised land. He represents the father of the multitude. That's what his name means, Abraham. Now, after Abraham, we see Isaac. He needs a bride. You see, Isaac does not go east. So who goes east to get the bride? The servant. The unnamed servant, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You see, the unnamed servant goes into the world. He is sort of in the east side of the world of false religions and so on and brings back a bride, which is a picture, of course, of the church, isn't it? He brings back his bride. He brings it back to Isaac. This is a picture of what's happening today, that God is now calling a bride from the world, right from the east, from all these false religions of the world, and bringing a bride to himself. And in this case, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, what happens? Jacob comes into the picture. Now, Jacob is in the world, right? Jacob is in the world right now as well. Israel is still in the world. They are scattered around the world, but they will someday be brought back into the land. Jacob is a picture of Israel eventually being brought back. So we have the church, the picture of Rebecca the bride, and we have Israel pictured in Jacob coming back once again to the father, basically becoming the bride of the father or Jehovah. So this is, so that is what the idea in the trip east and west, but you will see east and west perspective of all these things. So we saw in the case of Hagar and Lord, the we saw the issues of Egypt and the fact that that little side trip to the world didn't really help. So it's a great remembrance of the fact that we are his bride, Isaac and so on. Genesis chapter 24, we don't have time to get into that. Jacob goes east and then of course eventually Israel will return someday to the west as Jacob did to the west. We don't have time to get into that. There are also other testings that come from the east almost all testings come from the east. Sometimes from the north, relating to east, you also see east wind. Mention the scripture. It's associated with dryness, barrenness, lack of agricultural protection. The Lord's presence seems to be missing. A great example of the east wind today is COVID-19. We see the Lord is shaking the people of the world. He's calling them, come to me, come to me, come West. Then we see the locusts from the west and so on. I don't have time to get in that. East and west are key to direction, north and south. A little bit in the scripture, not much. Now, how about the tabernacle? In Exodus, we see the story. No time to get into all the details. It's really an interesting study. You see, where is the holy place? On the west. That's where God's presence is. He's in the holy of holies, the most westward place in the tabernacle. By the way, where is the gate? Now, let's be honest. If you are making the tabernacle, wouldn't we make three or four doors? So that is easy for people to get in. You see, God has a reason for just making one door, making it on the east. There is a lesson for us that there is a certain way we must approach God. There is only one way to approach God, only one door. And of course, we know that is a picture of Christ. He's the door. The Lord Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and life. There is only one way to the presence of God, and that is westward. You have to come through the east door. 
we would make it up and say, let's make it easy, have everyone come through different doors, so we, we don't want everyone to crowd into one door, let's have five doors. No, just one. We come through the east, E, B, C, and east-west direction there. You, you know, the lampstand stood on the south, which of course, he is the light of the world, shows, the, shows his power and so on. The table of showbread stood on the north side. He shows our connection to him because we partake of the loaf. We, we by taking part of the one loaf, shows unity. We are connected to him. So that is in the north. Gate is on the east. Other things connected to the tabernacle. The ashes from the altar are deposited on the east side of the altar. The blood was sprinkled on the east side of the mercy seat. Anything to do with sin. We see that it's on the east side. Sin is a departure from God related to east. West is the approach to God. So in the tabernacle we see the same setup. There is more to it. Something for you to think about. Ezekiel chapter 10. You know what happened? When God's presence, his cloud begins to leave the temple. You know the temple hasn't been built yet. You know what happened? God is going to leave. Basically his presence will leave Israel because of their sin and idolatry and so on. So what happened? He goes through the east gate. Verse 19. Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 19. We see that. He goes out of the east gate. He shows east is departure. Now he goes out of the east gate of the temple. And then he goes out through the east gate of the city. That is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 23. Ezekiel is an interesting book. And of course he will eventually come back. Man from Bosra, the son of man, will come back from the east. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, For as the lightning come out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the son of man. Again, I don't have time for that. So we see some great lessons here. Lastly, what about our boundaries? We looked at the issue of travels in the world. We learned some important lessons in travels. We need to be a man of faith like Abraham. It's faith that requires our sense of direction or else we'll continue east. There will be testing in the world. We have to be careful to come to God first before we just decide where we are going to travel based on testing. Right? Then there's approach to God in our worship and so on. And lastly, our boundary. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. To go quickly, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people under the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, if we stop right there, Every place that the sole of your sole of our foot going to tread upon. We think wherever we walk, we'll get it, right? Well, he goes on to say, where is your foot going to tread? He said, have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, verse 4, we see the boundaries. From the wilderness, you know the wilderness? It's down south. And this Lebanon, that is north. Even under the great river, the river Euphrates. Where is that? That is in the east. All the land of Hittites under the great sea. That is west. Toward the going down of the sun. Shall be your coast. Shall be your border. That is the boundary. 
Now we have another lesson here because he mentions different things that have different directions. One is east, west. By the way, four boundaries are east, west, north, and south. Four boundaries there. And so God has established boundaries for us, doesn't he? There are boundaries in his word. Sometimes we try to stretch the boundaries that God has set for us. To the young people, have your parents ever ever establish boundaries for you? Your parents see you can't go this far. I wonder if anyone has tested their parents' boundary. Maybe your teacher's boundary or your professor's boundary and so on. A child knows their parents' boundaries. When mom starts yelling, one, two, before it hits three, you know the child comes back. Sometimes the child will push to see the limit. We'll try to see where that boundary is. God says, here is your boundary, Israel. He has given us boundaries too in his word. Looking at the first boundary, south, the wilderness. Abraham tested that boundary, didn't he? See, there is nothing going down, nothing wrong going down to the wilderness. God will provide in that wilderness when famine or whatever comes. He, but he went beyond the boundary. Once he goes beyond the boundary, that is southward, what happens? He went to Egypt. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt and came into the place that we call Canaan? Now it's called Israel. Before they got into the promised land, they were in the wilderness. The only reason to go back is to go where? Egypt. The only reason to get back to the wilderness is to, is to pass that boundary, is to go where? Egypt. That's where they wanted to do a few times, isn't it? Especially in the wilderness. They wanted to go back to Egypt. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 15, there's a statement there, all those onions, the fish, the melons, the leeks, and garlic, and so on. We had a great time in Egypt. You did really? You see, the world can blind us. The only reason to go back to south is to pass that boundary that God has set would be to go to Egypt. Nothing wrong with south. South represents the place of power and faith. But to go beyond the boundary, we get beyond in the faith in God and have faith in the world. That's what some have done today. So he says, you know, right? You know what? That's your boundary. That's our boundary today, right? We have to keep our faith in him and not to put our faith in the world. Well, in a general sense, we have the world and its riches towards south. Then we have Lebanon to the north, which means whiteness. That seems to be a nice place. How many of us like going, like skiing? Perhaps you like going to the mountains. You like the whiteness, it seems pure, righteous, and so on. It may seem like that, right? Again, north is a picture of weakness going beyond the boundary. It's okay to be inside the boundary, but to go beyond the boundary would mean to go and look at the world system, right? The mountain speaks of kingdoms, so we see going north, we are relying on the world's power. The north, we see the word of God, that the world's power comes down to attack Israel from the north. Be, the enemies will be coming from the north. So what are we relying on today? The world's riches, the world's power and its system, its political system and so on. How about the Euphrates? It's on the east. You know what, what that represents? Euphrates means fruitfulness. But to go beyond that boundary, by the way, that's where Babylon and Nineveh and all those places of false religion, the false religious systems of the world, east, where Babylon is, then, of course, the boundary of the Great Sea. That's where West means seaward. That's was, that was to be their boundary, wasn't it? That was where God wants them to be, with him. That's where God wants us today, with him. He sets his boundary for us. Lastly, I know my time is gone. Lastly, we'll look at one passage from the New Testament. We'll look at Matthew chapter 
Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. Very familiar passage. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. There it is. The wise men were from the east. They were from where Abraham used to be. The Chaldees. Where the Syrians were. Verse 2. Asking or saying, where is he that is born the king of Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They were in the east. They saw his star and the star brought them westward. As you know, that means approach to God. You already learned about it. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great, great joy. No time to get into that. They traveled a long way from east to west. That's where God was. The Lord, in this case, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. And we'll conclude there. And being warned of God in a dream that should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. Notice, another way. Look, they went back east. They did. Did they? Notice that again. They went another way. Heteros, a different way. A wholly different way. It is interesting that they don't specify that they went east, but God says they went a different way. When the wise men had left the presence of, of the Savior, were they not different? Yes. They were obedient to the word of God. True worship will always take you home another way. For the wise men, it meant it meant crossing the inhospitable mountainous territory east of Bethlehem. I wonder what happens to us today, you know, when we leave this building. Let us be honest. How many of us come and listen to message after message? Oh, that was very nice. What do we do about that? Does it change our lives at all? So my hope today is as a result of going and looking at all these pictures and types and what this great lesson about travels and testing and boundaries God has set for us. What are we going to do about it? Will it change our lives at all? Will we live a different way? Will we live differently? And you know what? I'm not going to live the way I used to live. Or I want to go a different way. I hope this is the case for each one of us today. So the question is, what will we do? I've only touched the surface here relating to the compass. I'm trying to show you the picture, the fact that the importance, the importance of how we travel in this world. May God help us to stay west, to stay with him, to stay close to him, unstained by the things of the world, and not to travel to his riches, not to travel to its kingdom, not to have his political systems and the false religions, uh, religious systems of the world. Let us not stretch those boundaries that God has set for us, but let's take what God has for us and thank God for what we have. May God richly bless you. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Would like to sing that hymn 423, if you don't mind, 423 from the Red Book.